The information expressed in the following podcast is intended for educational purposes only and was created by and belongs solely to Believe Limited and the Flow podcast and does not necessarily reflect the views of our sponsors. Please speak to your healthcare provider before making any medical decisions. Hi, I'm Jessica Richmond, and it is time to talk about extreme periods. Welcome to Flow. It's October, and public health advocate Christy Van Horen and I want to know, how's your flow? Hello, and welcome to Flow, where our mission is to normalize the conversation around menstruation. So let's do it. This is episode 10. Christy, how's your flow? Jared, you know, this month was better than last, of course, right? Light flow, my cramps weren't too bad, of course, because I wasn't on vacation and it wasn't my birthday. So she took it easy on me this month. I know you've had you've had quite the timing for a vacation, a medical appointment. It's exhausting. I'm I'm really getting tired. But I, I she made it up, you know, this month. This month it was much lighter when I had absolutely nothing going on. There it is. You know, that's how it goes. So you, what about you? I have been thank you so much for asking, by the way. I've been noticing that things change nutritionally for me when yeah. depending on where I'm at hormonally. So I'm just going from luteal to PMS, and I am like, give me all the protein. That's what I found. Cravings are different for everybody, right? Some people who menstruate want chocolate, but that's never been the case for me. You? You said protein, but- Protein right now, like give me all the protein bars, but yeah, chocolate anytime, anytime. (laughs) It's great. I'm also very excited about this episode. Yes. Well, because speaking of normalizing convo- we on Flow realized it was time to bring some non-menstruators into the very normal conversation around menstruation. So not just any non-menstruators, we invited to the show today trusted friends and bloodstream media superstars in their own right. We have Patrick Lynch, Josh Bragg, Rob Bradford. Hello and welcome to Flow. We're going to hand the virtual recording room to you three to discuss menstruation for a while. It's going to be great. But just before we go, Christy, Amy, who's behind the scenes, any thoughts to share before we mute ourselves and just kind of creepily eavesdrop on this combo? Go with it, guys. No judgment. This is not a test. We are just curious to see what you have to say. And we'll let you get to that conversation right after this quick break. This ad is brought to you by Von Vendi, Von Willebrand Factor Recombinant. My name is Nicole, and my deciding factor is making my voice heard. To hear the backstory, drop by Von Vendi, that's V-O-N-V-E-N-D-I dot com slash patient dash stories. Well, thank you, Jessica, Christy, Amy, for having us. This is Patrick. Uh, let's get our we'll get our voices in here attached to names to help listeners identify who's who. So this is Patrick. Josh, mind saying hi? Hi, this is Josh. <laughs> Rob, hello. Hi, I'm Rob. So some may know, but uh, we've worked together, all the three of us, for quite some time. But I have to say, I don't think in all of our work and all of our travel and all of our time on set, our dead time waiting for the weather to change or for the flight delay to clear, that we have ever 
had a conversation about menstruation. So never came up. No, I, I don't think it ever come up. And looking at this wonderfully uh, uh, curated list of questions here from the excellent producers and hosts of Flow, um, guys, I got to be honest. I realize how little I know, and I'm friggin' embarrassed about it. I don't know where you're coming from, but that's where I'm starting this conversation. I glanced at the list of questions and thought, "There's no way to prepare for this," and just pushed it away. Uh, <laughs> I thought so we I, would get. <laughs> I thought we'd get to the answer kind of like a Ouija board, you know, like we would just kind of piecemeal it together and it would, and be correctish. Oh, I mean, maybe that's the best chance we have. The three this of us is combined. a problem solving quest. Yes. I don't think it was intended as such, but it's undoubtedly the, what it's become. So we got to start somewhere and this makes sense as a good a place as any, what do you already know and how do you know it about the anatomy of menstruation? Like, what Josh, I'm going to put you on the spot first. Like, what do you know and how do you know it? Well, first of all, that's an incredibly vague question. Um, <laughs> Look, I didn't write a man. This is what we got. I know stuff and I know it from being around women. I have been fascinated with the female anatomy since high school when we had to take health and you like watch the birth video. I think I was the only kid in the class who was male who didn't have their head down. Um, I remember on sleepovers when friends would fall asleep, I'd go put on TLC and watch one of those like pregnancy stories. Yeah. Like I've, I've been fascinated with this and I've told Natalie this Patrick, because I think it's why she and I bond so much with her being a doula and me being interested in, and in exploring being a birth photographer. Natalie's my wife for the listeners. Yeah. And so I know, I know stuff. I don't know. I, I don't think I know anything scientific. I, I know what my wife's experience is. Um, and I know what some of my coworkers experiences are vaguely from, you know, normal friendship conversations, but I, I don't know if I could put into words exactly how it all works. Interesting. I'm interested in the fact that you have conversations with coworkers and colleagues about it, because I don't know that that's average. I mean, I don't know, because I've never talked with male friends about this, let alone like female friends, but like, I don't. I don't engage in those conversations. I don't know, Rob, do you, do you engage in those kind of conversations with like female friends or colleagues? Uh, yeah, maybe I have like a disarming nature about me or something, but people feel well, fine talking about that kind of stuff. I don't know. I haven't, I, I mean, I have had those conversations, I guess, you know, I believe we are kind of like a family. And so everyone I think is a little closer than most colleagues would be in most offices. Um, but that's fair. Yeah. Um, hopefully without crossing any lines, I think everyone's just like super comfy. Yeah. Um, we work I, in health. So that's a little different. Yeah. And I think everyone trusts everyone's maturity level too, to handle that kind of stuff. Cause I, I think it does need a maturity level of, you know, a level of trust and, and maturity level there to, to be able to start talking about it. So maybe that's a good thing. Well, yeah. And I think as we started our, our work, helping to, to talk about VWD and um, mm-hmm. starting flow, disease. I think there has that has opened a, a couple more doors to be like, oh, oh, it's it's okay to say like, hey, I'm I'm just having a rough day because my period's particularly bad today, um, and those those are really the extent of the conversations. It's it's not like you know, well, what, what kind of experience are you having? You know, it's just sort of like they the the bleeders in our in our company. I think feel comfortable being like, this is what's going on with me today. It's a health thing, you know, and. So yeah, from a yeah, little, yeah. you know, X, Y, Z, I don't know. But Patrick, hmm. to answer your question, this is Rob. It's when, thanks Rob. It's when the menstruator's body sheds the uterine lining. 
<laughs> you Googling that? Dictionary.com. No, <laughs> I'm not Googling that. I'm staring at you guys. Oh. No, but I okay. am a Googler. You just looked real intent on getting it no. right. It looked like you were reading. Got to be honest. I'm staring right at you guys. Okay, um, okay. But so the thing about me is though, I am a Googler big time. And my girlfriend will tell you, like, we'll be driving down the street. And if I'm driving and she's in the passenger seat, I'll be like, what's that statue? And she's like, and she'll have to like pull out her phone and Google it for me. Cause I need to know everything. I have not Googled female menstruating stuff until I started to have like closer and closer partners in my life. And I'd be like, well, what is it? Why does it make you feel crampy or, or, you know, tired or moody or bloated? Like, why does all that stuff happen? And so I'd Google it. And then there's like lots of stuff to Google about it, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The uterine lining. It's the uterine lining, you guys. That's what happens. It's shed, but there's a whole process of, of like all this stuff that's complicated. I need to learn to Google the normal stuff because where I end up Googling is like, oh, what does it mean to have like a baby develop outside of the uterus? What does it mean? You know, like that's the stuff that I Google when my brain can't wrap around like some crazy story that I heard. I'm like, okay, let's get the science. But I don't do that for the normal stuff. Like what is menstruation? You're like a savant Googler. I could never reach that level. I only <laughs> Google like the basics. Good teamwork. Good teamwork. All coming from why different are, points Why of are view. women mad at me sometimes? You know, that kind of thing. So let's talk about symptoms. Um, what do you know? And like, where do you remember learning about how a woman's period actually manifests? What a menstrual cycle's impact looks like? What those symptoms are? What do you equate like symptoms of a period? Like what comes to mind for you, Rob? Well, having had partners in my life who menstruate, I understand now that it's like, can be, it is, can be very different for every single human. Yeah. Typically I would say there's the cramping of like, you know, the uterus, like cramping. I feel like that's one of the first ones I remember learning about, like as a kid and we were going through puberty, like cramps like that was a word that yeah. like, I heard in school like maybe a nurse said it like that was a word that I remember hearing early on because it like that's the only one that's like well I think Jesus but like that's the only one that like is like not hormonal really like everything else is like is like your hormones just wreck your whole body but like the cramps is like physical and it's like and when you say wreck happen. your whole body like what what do you mean when you, when you say wreck your whole body what do you mean well hormones are crazy like, and that's not just women hormones or female, you know, uh, estrogen, progesterone things. It's like testosterone is messed up too. Like they mess your body up. All these stress hormones, like everything just messes your body up from what I understand. That's my opinion based on the Googling I've Googled, but it, like, it, and, and so it, that's what causes a lot of those other symptoms of, you know, uh, that like makes your brain chemicals thrown off. So you, you could be moody, angry sad conversely you could be like like when you know your period's over and then you're like hormones are going up you could be like happy feeling sexual feeling like all these things are great like it, it just thro throws off your brain chemicals um it throws off like you know how your body works like you retain water so they feel bloated uh what else something i learned on tiktok um, recently oh. because my wife sent it to me, um, cause we're on very different TikTok, uh, <laughs> arms. I don't <laughs> yeah, know what yeah, you call yeah, it. Different news feeds, different or tunnels, or different algorithms. 
Yeah, but she she'll send me stuff about periods because we we talk about it a lot because hers is very intense and she gave me permission to to say that and to talk okay. about it a little bit. One thing I've learned on TikTok recently like in the last week or two is that the body while you're on your period doesn't digest food as well. And so you're, you know, going to the bathroom might be more intense, but also you have the craving to eat more and it's because your body isn't getting as many nutrients because it's focused on the other things um, of shedding the uterine lining. And, um, sure. <laughs> and, and so that that's why someone might feel like they need to eat more. And it's actually scientifically, they do need to eat more because they're not getting the nutrients because they're passing through un, undigested or a little bit less digested. So this is interesting, Josh, and, and it's uh, good to know that, you know, your partner's giving you permission to talk about this a bit. So how does learning things like what you just mentioned about the increased desire or need to eat um, and where that comes from, how has that informed the ability you have to support your partner through menstruation? You know, I, I think before learning that information, hearing her say like, oh, just absolutely starving. Nothing I eat feels like it's satiating me. Mm -hmm. You know, my reaction might be like, huh, you know, but now sure. my reaction, <laughs> oh, do you want to get some food? Like, do you want to, what, what's something we could eat? You sure. Know? Sure. You know, it's, it's obviously different, but when, when my wife, Natalie was pregnant and in the post-pregnancy and talking about hormonal shifts and the impact on the body that Rob was just bringing up, uh, in particular, watching the way it impacted her hunger and her desire to eat and what kind of foods, that's not something that her menstrual cycles traditionally seem to sway much um, for her. But during the pregnancy experience, and it's like it definitely, I watched how hormones were impacting her body in these other ways, you know, her, her cycles, and likewise, I have her permission and she is comfortable with my sharing are, are somewhat regular and predictable. So it was very interesting then to see this other process start where hormones came into play in the way that it impacted her body, her, her, her head, the way she thought she's a very decisive person. And she found herself much more often like contemplating all the options and getting a little bit stuck in like analysis paralysis and things like that. So it was interesting to watch in such a consolidated period of time, just how going through such a bodily shift impacted her. And then to think menstruation is a monthly process. Like this is something, a bodily process, cycling through it every single month. Rob, for you, like, have your impressions of menstruation or woman's cycle changed over the years from whenever you remember first being introduced, like puberty, or maybe a little before that through where you are now? Yeah, I think it's unfortunate the way, I mean, I have no idea how kids are taught these days, but it, it's unfortunate the way, you know, they, they teach you about it because it's such a disruptor. I think when it comes yeah. to the different types of anatomy disruptors that are out there, but I mean, so you're in seventh grade or whatever health class and some gym teacher who does not want to be doing this <laughs> is got the group of males in one classroom and he's talking to all of us and he's, you know, gives us the nuts and bolts of how, you know, a women's body works and how the periods happen and all that. And it, it like, and when I say nuts and bolts very specifically, because it's like the real slap together, like bad description of how all this stuff happens without any sort of, uh, you, you know, like deep dive into like, what that, why is that cause? Like, why, what does this do? And why, you know, sure. and then the only other thing you get from 
just popular culture is that like women be moody, you know, like that, yeah. like, I'm glad you oh, brought she's that up. PMSing and like totally. all that stuff. And so you don't know any better. Like, unfortunately, like I was pretty much raised by women. Like my, there's my dad, but I, my mom, my stepmom, my sister, and like did not know, you know? And so it, of course, I'm not going to actually talk about it with them. We were not that kind of close family, which, you know, I wish I did know better. Maybe they could have some sort of like gender studies in addition to health or something in school. So you could learn, you know, not just about, but like also trans and 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 all these different kinds of issues with gender non-binary and everything that like people should learn when how to relate to human beings as adults. But, you know, they we didn't learn how to do our taxes, I guess, either in school. And that was still <laughs> pissing off. But like, it, but, and then to learn like, hey, you know, 50% of the entire planet, 7 billion people or whatever, this right. is how their body operates. And this is what it causes. And this is how, just understand that this is what they're going through. Whether or not you're going to be interested in dating or getting married to, to someone who menstruates or not, like you're still going to be friends with them. You still got birthed from one. You still have them in your life. You're going to have to work with them. Understand that like, this is stuff they're going through. And it, it feels kind of crazy that you don't. It feels kind of crazy that I don't think likewise they're taught much about how men work. I don't think we're as complicated, but we do have hormonal swings. And so it, and it does cost stuff, but sure. um, yeah, it just kind of pissed me off that I had to find out like by just disappointing a lot of close women in my life until I finally figured it all out. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Did you want to jump in on that, Josh? Yeah. I think, I think part of the reason I was so fascinated with it in, in high school and in college and like doing my own research or like watching those shows was because it was this forbidden information. It wasn't something that right. my parents' generation really felt comfortable talking about. And it certainly wasn't anything teenage girls felt comfortable talking about. And so you get that one female gym teacher who'd be, you know, teaching sex ed in a, in a really kind of aggressive, like, you know, this is how you, and this happens. And, you know, you're just like grasping at like, there's, there's, it's, I have a body that does these things, but like, we're not supposed to talk about it outside of this room and we're not really supposed to experience it as teenagers, but some of my friends are. And then, and then the girls, you know, like that, that was a whole nother thing that wasn't including my body that I was like, but there are other humans with different bodies, you know, it, and it's all this mysterious thing and you never get, I mean, I think my high school did have a basic women's study or, or no, it was like, um, it was about like women and birth and, and all that stuff. I don't know what it was called. It wasn't women's study and it was a voluntary That's thing. That's pretty good on high school level. Yeah. But like no one knew about it. So you would like meet the random, mm. like four people in that class and then be like, Oh, I'm taking women's studies and be like, okay. Okay. Like about what for like a whole year? <laughs> Why? You know? Sure. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, I definitely think you, you and Rob both touched on this and I agree when I think about where did I learn some of the first pieces of bits of information or misinformation or misconceptions that I had about the female anatomy and menstruation, it is in these sex ed little siloed special spinoff classes that are like not even a part of the science track. It's like we're in biology class. Why is this not like to your point, Rob, half the planet experiences this thing and it's a monthly process. Like why is why is it being taught under the umbrella of sex ed, which is already charged and weird and all this stuff. And in such a little over here in the corner way, are we, are we ashamed of it also? And admittedly, I went to an all boys Catholic high school, but even in middle school, when I remember the first and grammar school, I think even like sixth grade, there was something that we did. 
my recollection, I don't know about you guys, all taught by yeah male gym teachers, like 100%. not who I'm and like just being in weird rooms where it's like me and my 12 and 13 year old female classmates and like, yeah, some random gym teacher who doesn't even seem frankly qualified to teach athletics of any kind is now trying to tell me about that. And it didn't feel like it destigmatized or made it easier to talk about. It only like furthered the, oh, this is a weird subject because it was uncomfortable even when we were finally talking about it. And I think in large part because of who the, who the messenger was like, this isn't the person. Why is this the person? Well, I don't know about you guys either, like what the length of your class was, but I, and I could be wrong because there's many things of, about <laughs> being a teenager that I'm sure I remember wrong. <laughs> but what I remember is that it was my sophomore year and that it was maybe four weeks long mm -hmm. at most. Maybe a, maybe oh. even it was only a week long of yeah. all four years of high school, all four years of middle school. Like I got one week to figure it all out. And then it was like, just forget it. Just I'm um, walking away. But don't don't worry about it. Yeah, mine was mine was six weeks because that's how like, you know, our our like grading periods were were six weeks long. Mm. And so it was like six weeks out of the gym thing. And then we would do it like the six weeks in winter when you like couldn't go outside and stuff, you know? And so <laughs> we would like have to sit in the classroom and it was six weeks long to learn everything. Like from how your junk works to how their junk works to like <laughs> how sex works with your junks, all that stuff, how to like put on a condom, babies, all this stuff, sex, STDs, everything in the, like 30 minute chunks for six weeks. And then, yeah, never talked about it again. Let's pretend that didn't happen. It was weird for all of us. You know, let's move on. Well, and what's popping into my head too, Patrick, you said gym teacher, but I believe the exact term is physical education teacher. I, believe and I don't you feel are like correct. I was educated in anything physical. I think I spent all of gym class finding out way I didn't have a period, so I couldn't use that as an excuse to get out of gym class, but I found every other way. <laughs> you know, the coolest thing about gym class for me was I got to wear my medical alert bracelet so long as I had it taped down. So even though it still had this like stupid tape around my wrist that was uncomfortable and not cool looking, I at least like was able to wear jewelry. So I was like, hey, everybody, I got, hey, thanks, physical education. As you uh, get pummeled in the face with a dodgeball. <laughs> but at least I got the bracelet that you can't see on. <laughs> um, you know, menstrual products and the menstrual product market and sort of the business around that and, and what all the options are. And do you remember when do you remember first hearing about them? I, I have to be honest, like up until a point at, I met Natalie in my very late 20s, 29 to be precise. And with her interest in health and being a doula and her being involved in this community work that we do, and it has opened up many more conversations about this subject than I had had with prior partners. And I learned, I learned about options and I'm sure there's still stuff that I haven't a clue about. If I'm being honest, I don't know what I don't know about menstrual products and, and the business around it, but I do know that there's a lot and that for whatever reason, it's always felt as though they're not supposed to be talked about. Like I shouldn't ask, it's not polite, it's not for me. And I don't know if that's like been just my own internalized fear turned into like, oh, well, I'm not supposed to, as opposed to I'm too afraid to, but I've... I can't remember in my life ever proactively engaging a woman about her product needs or use. Like I know that tampons and pads are common go-tos. I don't think I've ever been asked to help provide one, but I don't think I've ever proactively engaged this conversation in any way. I don't know what comes to mind about uh, menstrual products or your experience talking to partners about them, uh, Rob or Josh. You've never had to pick them up from CVS? 
Uh, probably, but I, I guess, I mean, there's never been like a pinch situation where my, you know, my knowledge or wherewithal or knowing where to find things has been necessary. Sure. It's been a list of things, you know, okay. like go get this in aisle 14, but that's about the extent of it. Yeah. I feel like I, I've just seen them around. They've just always been around, <laughs> you know, they were in my house growing up since I've lived with my partner. There's, there's, they're in the house. You know, I just don't really think about it. I guess there's, I'm sure there's a whole economy there around all that stuff and, uh, and how to capitalize on all of it. I just don't really interact with them much. I'm sure I've bought them probably like, yeah, that's what you need. I need ibuprofen every day to get through my day. I also need like a couple other things like it, it you know, so I, I guess I've never really thought about that much. You just associated it with something that's like a routine yeah. medical extension thing. People need like a vitamin or an ibuprofen or something. Yeah. 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 I mean, that oh, makes okay. sense. My, my mom being a nurse, I feel like has always contributed to at home growing up and in her home to this day, like she puts things away and things are cleaned. Like there's kind of a clinic mentality. So for example, even though I grew up with, with my mom, there was not, there were never like, there were never products out on the counter in the bathroom or on the toilet or seeable. Cause everything always like has a place it gets stored and goes away and you clean it and it goes away. And I, it might just be who she is, but I kind of feel like that nurse's hospital mentality has contributed to it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think now as an adult, like I noticed when I, we go to restaurants or when we used to go places that when bathrooms are a certain way, being like, this was designed by a woman, because there's just like some intelligent design around the accessibility of products that should be in a bathroom. And it feels so normal and like, calming to me, even though I don't need the products because it feels like someone has accounted for this bathroom really well. This is a strange thing to say. It like changes my point of view on a restaurant, to be honest, when I go into a unisex bathroom, that's really well organized that way, but it's not something growing up. I don't remember, and I guess bathrooms are, you know, bathroom talk here, but I guess I went to the boys room and the men's room and schools and stuff. I, but I just don't remember even in unisex or like friends homes. I don't remember the normalized access, not that you're supposed to be hanging like tampons from the, you know, from a shingle, but just being like in bathrooms and like seeing things that should be in bathrooms. I know it's weird to say, but I feel like all of that somewhat contributed to feeling as though these are things that are not to be discussed for me, that shouldn't be discussed, that are be tucked away, that women account for, and I'm just kind of supposed to stay on the outside of. I don't know. Am I a little bit alone in that one? No, I've had the same experience. And I, I think also on television, having the the dumb, fat husband accidentally walk down the tampon aisle and and the whole store freaks out or he panics and, <laughs> and runs away like that's such a common stereotype that we've seen growing up that yeah you, you feel it yourself and then you get on that aisle even today like I've picked up tampons from the store I've talked to Courtney at length about the the different options and why certain ones don't work and and you know the the option of the diva cup versus you know like it's such a normal part of my life now and something that I do have some shared knowledge about, but I still, when she asked me to, uh, Oh, on your way home, could you stop by CVS? I'm still texting her pictures of the box, even though it's the same box I've picked up every time <laughs> I'm still sure. sweating and my palms are sweaty mom spaghetti. And I get up <laughs> to the front counter and I'm like feeling ashamed that I'm like holding this product, even though in yeah. my head, I'm talking myself down from all that being like, why are you feeling this? This is ridiculous. Yes. This is a normal human thing, but I'm still, my body's like physical reaction is all of that stuff happening. Yes. I relate to it. And that's ridiculous. Uh, Rob, you want to get in on that point? 
I was just gonna say, well, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've had to buy them. I've never felt, I, I like always, cause I've been like the person and the checkout counter at the grocery store, you know, I've like, that was one of my, that was like my second job ever. And you, it's kind of a really unique peek into humans, you know, because even in my small town, I knew probably 50% of the people who are coming through there, but then you see what they eat. You see what they buy. <laughs> you see what they deodorant they use. You see what tampons they use. And so I, always think that when I go check out of like, what is this telling about my life? And so anytime I bought tampons, I felt awesome. Cause I'm like, look at me, dude, I'm so cool. <laughs> I've got a serious girlfriend and I'm buying her tampons. That's how I can keep a relationship down. But I always felt ashamed back in my single days buying condoms. And I would have to like talk myself up even yeah. as a full grown adult walking up there and just be like, be cool, man. Be cool. Sliding across, I would drive several yeah, towns gonna... over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> want to see yeah, because the people like Rob behind the counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Me standing there with tonight, my braces, huh? like, are you gonna have sex with these? Oh, I got uh, <laughs> condoms, tampons, and hot dog buns. Wonder what this guy's up to. <laughs> we probably have time for like one or two more of these um, prompts or questions before we should invite um, Jessica and Christy to rejoin us. But I do before we move on from this product conversation. I, I do want to mention this one thing, and it's maybe a little outside the product uh, lane, so to speak, but I was introduced when when Natalie and I got, got together to IUDs, and in particular, copper non-hormonal IUDs as a form of birth control. And when I think about this question, I also think about, and this was covered on Flow recently, but the pink tax and all the ways that women are charged for being women, so to speak, uh, the, all the ways built into the system that that uh, materializes. And this copper IUD, which lasted my wife over a decade, meant that she never needed to have uh, any kind of hormonal, anything in her body, anything changing her hormones or, or messing with her in different ways. And there were no ongoing expenses associated with it, other than routine OB checkups and making sure the placement was correct and, and all of that, but it wasn't as though every month she had to buy a prescri buy prescription pills of some kind or what have you. And I've noticed over the years as she's spoken to more women and shared stories, how little that, that as an option is known about, even amongst women. And that has been very, that was very striking to me. And I can't help but think that a large part of that is because there's not profit in that the way there is in pills and the way there are in ongoing interventions as opposed to something that you insert into your body once in 10 years and doesn't change your hormones, but prevents against pregnancy. So for family planning, again, that's a little outside of what we're exactly discussing, but because of her discovery with the copper IUD and having witnessed so many women not know about it or be, or, or struggling with what they're currently doing for birth control, uh, I just felt inclined to mention it while we were here together. But I'm curious about like, to talk a little more about our experience with partners. We talked about it briefly, Josh, with you earlier, and maybe Rob can kind of turn to you for this one. Can you share a little bit more with us about the ways in which you best support your partner and maybe how that's changed a bit over the years? Anything you've learned about how to best support your partner? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm very well aware, uh, like self-aware, I should say, is, is at least as much, I try to be as much as I can of like, what I bring to the relationship as far as like, you know, what I can give, but also like 
what it takes to be with me. Like I'm very aware of like <laughs> my cost and how expensive <laughs> I can be on people's, um, uh, you know, temperament and whatnot. And so I, uh, like one of the things I actively do, I think at least is try to be aware of like how I can support, you know, my partner, especially with like all like menstrual stuff, all the stuff that comes along with that, because I understand how like rough it can be. And especially like, that's not something you can really do much about. And, you know, you know, you talked about the, there's the hormonal IUDs, the non-hormonal IUDs, there's different types of birth control pills and, and rings and, and shots and all this kind of stuff to kind of, uh, you know, hopefully help manage uh, things if you have some severe symptoms, but still it's, it's, it's unavoidable. And so I realize a lot of the stuff I bring to a relationship that's annoying is like fully on me. Um, but at the same time, the stuff that, that um, is like difficult, you know, for my partner to be going through is like not on her. And so I like even further try and like mm, support that in whatever way I can. Like I, I don't keep track. I don't have like a period tracking app on my phone, but mm. I definitely have one with like my eyes and ears and I can just mm. kind of sense of like what's going on and kind of guess, Oh yeah. Okay. Um, let's just try and give space or, or, mm-hmm. or, be more attentive listening wise, if that's much, if that's what's helpful or, um, remove some common stressors, like little things mm-hmm. that might, you know, be difficult to deal with. Um, but you know, whatever, and always just try to be vocal about it so that there's communication around it. And it's not awkward for either of us or not frustrating for either of us, you know, here a compassion availability and, and service as like ways that you support, you know, kind of summarizing what you were saying there, which I think are some really good guideposts for us non-menstruators. You know, Josh, you mentioned earlier that your partner has some, I forget the precise language, so forgive me, but can be on the more intense side, not exactly your words, but as we, you know, Flo does have the tagline, straight talk on extreme periods. I'm curious to know from your experience, from conversations with your partner, from what you've learned in the world, how do you define an extreme period? It's um not quite like bedridden, but the preference to stay in, you know, the intensity is so high that it becomes difficult to live normal life. It sounds debilitating. Yeah. And, um, and it's not that way every single time, but it's that way often enough that similar to what Rob is saying, I know that it's not my place to decide what the level of pain is and the the way that Courtney supports me being a a very sensitive person. I I try to give that back as much as, you know, evenly or, or more so um, when she's feeling physical pain to, you know, balance out what she gives to me when I'm feeling emotional pain. And so if we do need to cancel plans, you know, or alter plans or just push them back. It, I, I try to focus on allowing her to feel good about that. And that, that this is something that's like, it's a normal part of our lives. And so we can always change the plan because nothing is so important that it can't wait for you to feel better. Um, and to try and never push it because that's to me, the same as saying, I don't believe you, you know? And I, I, that's, it's not my body. So I have no right to not believe 
that what she's telling me is true. Mm -hmm. And I see the symptoms of it. So yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it means reaching out to friends and being like, Hey, just can't make it today. And, and making an excuse for myself or, or sometimes she's like, just tell my period's bad. And I'm like, well, I don't know. That's good that she, I was actually, when you said that, I'm glad she has at least that instinct or that comfortability because I do think being able to say that helps to destigmatize that that is in fact a reason I'm sure often enough that a person who menstruates does cancel a social plan at a kind of last minute, you know, like I'm sure that happens often enough because someone, but they don't say that that's why. Right. And then they're maybe flaky or they get a different perception when in fact, like, no, like there's a bodily borderline medical event occurring in my body right now. So it's good that she has the comfortability with it. My tolerance for pain is so, is so low you know, like I, I would feel comfortable canceling a night if I had to pop a hard pimple. Um, so if she's going through hormonal changes and, and her body ripping out things and flushing it from her and there, you know, food is different to her and like all of this stuff that we've talked about and probably just only barely scratched the surface of, Mm. um, is a way more valid excuse than anyone I would ever give. So I'm always just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's cancel. You know, the majority of, uh, where I've learned what's, Aside from with my wife, which I've referenced a few times, the majority of where I've learned what I've learned about menstruation has come from the fact that as someone with hemophilia, I've been in the blood disorder world for a while and attending meetings and listening listening to stories. And when I think about extreme period, what comes to mind for me is, is just how disruptive that it can be every single month. And what disruption can look like can be very different. It can be disruptive to plans. It can be disruptive to an emotional state. It can be disruptive to a relationship. It can be disruptive to a a professional goal. It can be disruptive in so many different ways. And then for those who have periods that can range from three days to three weeks, and for some, theirs just seem to never end. They just kind of go through different peaks and troughs of intensity and flow there's so many variations on the menstrual experience that when I think of extreme, that's the word that comes to mind is just disruptive because there's so many manifestations that it's just when it's something that's cyclical and regular and to the point Rob made toward the top occurring in half of us people walking around and moving through the world, the fact that there can be such variety and such disruption is unfortunate and frustrating. And I have to say, again, not the same thing, but the more I've learned about the, the body and life through the pregnancy and birth um, of my Natalie's child, it at times has made me angry, the amount that we just really don't seem to understand, not only about the human body in, in general, but about women's bodies in particular, and about these very normal processes, such as menstruation and birth, that re- there may remain so much mystery around. And I know it's like not one person's fault, and I know that there's a, a multifactorial reason for it. But just like experiencing with my partner different things, I have found myself at times very angry that we don't know more, that we're not better at articulating what we do know, that I have felt so insecure that when I get this outline, I have like a bunch of nervousness and sweats because I'm like, oh no, I really don't know as much as I feel like I ought to. And that like that I still feel weird bringing products to the counter at CVS. Like I, I identify with that too. So I don't know what to do with all of that, but I'm really proud. And maybe this is as good a segue as any to invite Christy and Jessica back on. I am very proud that as far as bloodstream media goes, that they've created the space for these conversations, for these experts to come through and share good clinical educational information for the voices of various women to come through with the lived experience of variations on extreme periods. 
Um, I do think it is helping normalize conversation. And I'd like to know what more that you guys, or, or I should say, maybe that's not an appropriate term to use here, uh, you and Jessica and you, Christy, what you could do to help us become better ambassadors for normalizing this conversation in circles where it needs to be normalized, which include amongst the non-menstruating support people in menstruators' lives. Amazing. I first just need to say we're back in the room. Thank you to our non-menstruators for sharing such sensitivity and straight talk about what you know about menstruation. It's okay. You can be real with us. How bad were we? No, you're amazing. I thought you guys are incredible. And I just want to start by saying thank you for being so open and honest and candid. One follow-up question, if we each could just quickly, I just want to know now that now that we've done that, how did it feel? I know this is immediately, we just finished having the conversation, but if you were to take a deep breath, how you mentioned at the beginning, there were some nerves. How did it feel then to work through the nerves and discuss? I think the hard part for me is just worrying about getting it wrong. Um, and that's just like a trait that I have that I'm working on that that gives nerves in really any situation. Um, but I, I love talking about this stuff because I, I like having an understanding. And like I mentioned early on, I've, I've been interested in it my whole life. It's just the it's, it's easier to have a conversation with someone who's experiencing it than look it up on the internet. That It's far more interesting to have these conversations than to be doing research because um, I'm not interested in being a doctor. I'm just interested in, in being a part of the conversation so I can be a, a better support, but also just like because it's fascinating. <laughs> yes, yes. And Josh, I want to highlight that you had mentioned the older generation is not comfortable talking about it. And so here's to being the generation non-menstruators, menstruators that gets comfortable, which means working through what feels a little uncomfortable. Yeah, that's a frustrating thing. I think like, it's kind of funny if you think about it, like we've gone from living in caves to having iPhone 13s now, and yet we have to have a podcast for some guys to understand the basics of how half the population functions. It's kind of silly um, that we're still here. It did feel good. I was I was totally nervous for the same reasons Josh was. I didn't want to like get it wrong because mostly I just don't want to offend the uh, the amount that like I do recognize that bleeders have to go through. Is bleeding okay, saying bleeders okay? Because I'm coming from the bleeding disorders world too. Everyone you know colloquially calls each other bleeders. I'm hoping that that's not offensive to use it here. But I think you know people who menstruate. I I, I have like a a deep respect now understanding very firsthand uh, or secondhand, I should say from, you know, my partners, what they go through. So I'm, I'm very much that I think that's where a lot of my nerves were from the beginning, but it feels great to know that we're all kind of on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. It, it, it does feel good. Like it was good talking with you guys about that and, and feeling like, okay, we're in, we're in similar ish. We have different experiences, different comfortabilities, different, but there's a lot that's similar about how we've, gotten the impressions and the information we have for better and for worse. And I guess, as I've been trying to suggest to your point, we did just have the conversation, but as I'm trying to take a breath and reflect, I think I'm realizing that my insecurity around what I know and the topic is maybe greater than my actual like knowledge gaps. I'm far from anything like an expert, but I'm also not a total, you know, non-compassionate buffoon. I've like, I, I know I know enough to be like when we were talking about how we support our partners, 
I know enough to be the, a good support person. I know how to be compassionate. I know how to be available. I know how to be proactive. I know how to look for cues. So from a practical standpoint, it's not as though I'm running to be like the head of women's health at John Hopkins. You know, I'm a, that's not my role, but I can be a good support person. And in so much as I'm a, a voice in the world of health and advocacy, I can be open to the conversation and to my voice being a part of it without claiming to be an expert or leading a conversation. I can just be a willing participant in a destigmatized conversation as a guy who doesn't menstruate, but has partners and, and is, is, cares about half the population. So I guess maybe that's my biggest takeaway is like, not, I can be a little less insecure about this as a topic. I don't have to get so in my head about like what I don't know. It's, it's actually just fine. And it feels very good to have a conversation with other non-menstruators about it. Yes. Great. And here's to creating the space for more of those kind of compassionate conversations to exist right. where there might be things that you get wrong, but it's better to experiment with the conversation than to stay in silence. Is there anything we got wrong? I know, you know, I don't want to corrupt what you got to do here at the end of the show, but if there is anything that we should revisit and correct yeah, the record on, get a not great. a bad idea. Just <laughs> one thing, just one thing. There were so many great quotes, by the way, memeable. I mean, yeah, Rob, you do have a disarming nature. You did mention that hormones are crazy. And I guess the only correction is hormones themselves are not crazy. We work hard to destigmatize crazy. The experience of having them can be quite preposterous though the experience of having mm. spikes in certain hormones can be for sure mm. hormones can be difficult to navigate especially when sometimes we don't realize them mm -hmm. yeah and we don't have yeah them. yeah it's easy to see when your knee hurts it's difficult to see when you're being a jerk you know or you're like yelling at someone it's like it's feeling you, you almost have to like or... step away afterwards and be like oh wow i was just really yelling a lot. What happened? You know, and have to like dissect it. It's really frustrating. Right. We don't have like a way to test and be like, oh, well, my estrogen just dipped. My progesterone is spiking and my testosterone yeah. just came in full blast. Well, that could be why that happened. I know we right. all need one of those little blood meters and a little Bluetooth thing to our phones. We'd be like, oh, you know what? That's on me. That's that's me right now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> my my progesterone, everything's dipping, you know, that'd be great. Gattaca. Did you learn anything from that? Yeah, I, I mean, well, I already knew that you three were such wonderful humans who cared about all parts of the population. So that's not new. I hope our listeners learned that the benefit of being around and conversing with non-menstruators who have such sensitivity is, is feeling sort of taken care of as a menstruator. To remember that there's people thinking about you and your experience in your life who you may not converse with about it, but that doesn't mean they're not thinking about it right and who if there's anything like me might have insecurity about it that blocks them from bringing it up or maybe being more proactive about communicating about it so you know not to put the burden then back on the menstruator but i guess maybe there's a point to be made about i think i'm probably not unlike a lot of other non-menstruating partners who has some level of insecurity around the actual experience of it month to month and therefore may not be may seem like less available or less interested or less curious at times when there's actually something else going on. There's an insecurity or block that's like not enabling that person's best self to step forward. So perhaps maybe with that on the table too, maybe that opens up ways to kind of think about how to discuss with a potential partner who's feeling a little insecure during a time where, you know, the hormones are not 
taking lefts and rights and ups and downs where, you know, feelings are, what's the old, what's the adage? Like you work on the roof on a sunny day, you know, you yeah. find a sunny day to like, Make hay when the sun shines. Yeah. Have a conversation about, you know, any kind of resistances to the topic. Again, I just don't think I'm unusual. And I guess talking with Josh and Rob about it has only gone to further that instinct. Right. Which is a great thing to learn. It was great. It was great to listen. I think sending the message that it's okay to talk about it, even amongst your non-menstruator friends and how you support one another, like each other, I should say, is awesome. So thank you guys again for, for sharing and being so honest. Very, very cool. That was cool. Let's normalize men discussing menstruation with such sensitivity and care. I think, you know, people are genuinely curious in life. We want to know things. We want to understand things. And we want to do and say the right things. And this taboo around menstruation, I think, prevents people from asking questions. And But we just learned that you know, That's menstruation. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it to everybody. Yes. Well, perhaps we could all use some tips on how to navigate a conversation about menstruation with non-menstruators. I would love some Christie's tips. One of, um, well, I just said this, right? Talk about it. Let's talk about it. And something we love is health educators is to really take advantage of what we call teachable moments. So we talk a lot about this like during puberty, you know, like when your teenager is going through changes, you know, if something happens, there's something on TV or you, a friend is talking about something. Take advantage of those moments with your partner, with your family, with your friends. You could share this podcast, right? Like, look at this. Guys are talking about their, about periods. That's pretty cool. Or maybe you're having a bad period and there's an opportunity to share with your roommate or your partner or anyone. So use these opportunities to break down those barriers. My second tip is to encourage the non-menstruators in your life to ask questions. As we also just said, people are curious, right? So be open to answering based on your own experiences. Make a list with your partner if they have questions that you can't answer. And then maybe at your next OBGYN appointment, you can ask those questions. Or, of course, Google is there. But as I've said <laughs> in previous episodes, please make sure to use it with caution and make sure you're using accurate sources. But just one really quick note, you know, both of these, it's not easy. We both know that, right? This is why we have the podcast there's shame around menstruation in our society. So no, this isn't easy for everyone, but start small and build. Talk to your trusted friends openly about it and build from there if you're not comfortable yet. So those would be my tips for this week. Yes, I was just thinking about like the teachable moments. I don't know why this came to mind because I'm doing a lot of like beach clean awareness. But if you like just see a tampon on the ground, on the whatever, you see like those materials, that's literally an opportunity to be like, periods. There's a tampon. Let's talk about it. And we really need to take those opportunities to do it if we're going to shift the conversation. If we're yes. Let it be normal. So can we just take a time out and talk about the fact that you're seeing period or tampons on the street? Is this? It was just one, but it was remarkable enough. I think I took a picture. 
that's tough. Relates back to our last conversation, right, about period poverty and... Period products, as you were mentioning shame with the tips, I was thinking about Dama and what she said last episode about the traditions of shame that we're really up against. So we got a lot of talking to do and we got to let it feel normal. Absolutely. That's why we're here. Yeah, we can't feel crazy talking about it. In fact, why don't we end this with our monthly reminder that you, listener, you're not crazy. Come here, baby. What do you think you are? You are not crazy. Crazy or something? Yes. And you're taking a look, Jay Rich, at sex education laws by state? A little bit, yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I comment? Please. (laughs) As somebody who used to be a health educator, ooh, there are so many factors that play into this. So even if you live in, we both live in very progressive states, right? You're in California, I'm in New York. We actually have educational requirements. But those requirements are in place to teach sex ed. However, I know as somebody who used to be a health educator for Planned Parenthood, I won't tell you how many years ago, but still it happened, that it really depends on so many things. The school district, the teacher themselves, because think about it, the guys actually mentioned this now that I, uh, yeah, now that I'm reflecting, I remember the guys mentioned like, You don't know what you're going to learn in in health education class because sometimes it's a gym teacher who's teaching you that. Um, And in some districts, they do call on Planned Parenthood and other health educators to come in and do trainings. I used to do that. I loved it. It was one of my favorite jobs ever. But you don't know. You really don't. So even the states that have the state requirements that are there, I mean, it can just vary so much on school district, teacher. It's... It's crazy. And so even the laws or even the states that have this in place, it's not always implemented in the way it should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And let's just take a little look at the numbers of what requirements are in Ooh, place. Ooh, you have numbers? I do. Yay! If non-menstruators in your life seem uninformed, or if you're a non-menstruator that is boggled by menstruation, you're not crazy. You were just never taught otherwise. Let's take a quick look at sex education laws by state. For example, out of the 39 states that mandate sex education and or HIV education, 28 states mandate both. It is pretty amazing that nine states only mandate HIV education. So they are required to teach what HIV is, but not required to teach how sex works or how periods work. Exactly. In 30 states that mandate when provided the sex and HIV education programs, the ones that actually mandate that they meet certain requirements, 18 states require program content to be medically accurate, which leaves 12 that do not have that requirement, meaning sex education is going on in this country right now that does not require medical accuracy. So no wonder non-menstruators and menstruators are like, are still searching for factual, actual information on how menstruation works. There are so many resources. We put notes in the program, but any listeners, if you have questions, reach out. We'd love to get them answered on this show. Yeah, and a lot of those programs are abstinence only. So how do you talk about sex and HIV prevention when you're only talking about abstinence? When contraception is not allowed to be taught, when it's not part of the required sex education. No, we got a long way to go. We do. We do. But we do love being part of the educational journey for any of you listening. And coming up for the rest of this year, we have some exciting conversations on menopause. Woo! And 
sexism. So stay tuned. Subscribe to, review, and share Flow. Referrals from you are the best way to reach new people. Share your story with us, please. Do you have an experience of extreme cyclical bleeding? We believe sharing these stories will support an increase in medical research and social acceptance. Bloodstream Media is more than just a rare disease podcast network. With shows on chronic pain, menstrual health, and Dungeons and Dragons, yes, Dungeons and Dragons, Bloodstream Media's got a little something for everyone. Visit bloodstreammedia.com or find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to learn more. And thanks to our sponsor Takeda for their support of Flow. Flow was produced by Bloodstream Media and supported by Takeda. Shout out to creative director Amy Board and Flow's hosts, Jessica Richmond and Christy Van Horn. Flow was edited by me, Colby Crow. Our next available episode will be November 11th. Hey, that's the day after I start menstruating.